Okay, let's go ahead and open our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter number 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We just almost finished this chapter last week, but we've got uh, some here just at the end. I don't want to skip over without taking a look at it. And uh, so just a, a short recap, if you think I can do it, I don't know. A uh, short recap. Uh, in 2 Timothy, what we saw, chapter 1, Paul told Timothy uh, to endure. He didn't want him to quit. He wanted him to stay faithful to the end. In chapter 2, he told him not just to endure, but he wanted him to excel. It's not good just to finish the race, but if you're going to finish it, you may as well finish it well. And so that was his encouragement to, uh, to be patient, to follow the Lord's uh, direction in his life, the course that was set before him, and uh, live his life according to the way that would please the Lord, the way the Lord would have him to. Uh, and so then in chapter number three, what we've been seeing is that he is challenging uh, Timothy to evaluate. So we saw to endure, to excel, and to evaluate. And so in chapter three, he's wanting him to uh, be prepared because it says in the last days, perilous times would come. And he gave him an overview of what was going to uh be typical in the last days, what was going to be the characteristics of the last days. And they were uh, moral issues, they were spiritual issues. He didn't necessarily point out violence, he didn't point out uh, the uh, things that we see today that's often uh, focused on and preached against. He went to the, the heart of the matter and what was going to characterize the last day. And so uh, men were going to put on a religious facade. It says that they were going to have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. Everyone you talk to is religious, but not according to Scripture. Uh, highly religious, actually. And so they're going to put on a religious facade. They're going to be fleshly and ungodly. They're going to be lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure. They're not going to have self-control, integrity, or compassion. Uh, their characteristics are going to uh, define the religion that was going to be present as well. It was a religion that was going to appeal to many and ensnare many, but it wasn't actually going to uh, do anything. It was going to be ineffective. It was going to be without power. And so it's going to promise temporal pleasure and satisfaction, but it was going to leave people uh, lost and headed to hell. And that is the world which we live in today. All of the religion that's out there, uh, people are flocking to all of these trends and all of these, uh, as we'll see later in chapter number four, those that will uh, tickle their ears, but they don't have any power. They don't have any godliness to them. They don't have any fruit. And so uh, whenever we look at these things, we find that true faith and real Christianity seems to be in the minority. Have you ever felt like you're in the minority? Felt like you were outnumbered? that you were going a different way than everyone else. Uh, as we read the scriptures, we find that that's the way that it should be, that this world doesn't operate according to godly principles. It doesn't operate with God and uh, the things of God in mind. And so we're going to be outnumbered. We're going to feel outnumbered. And so as Paul is telling Timothy this, Timothy needs this bit of encouragement. He needs to know what to expect. He needs to know that it is something that doesn't catch God off guard, that things aren't going wrong. Isn't that what we often think? That the world is messed up, it is going wrong, and in a way it is, but it's still going according, it's going right according to the way that God said it would go. 
So it shouldn't catch us by surprise, should it? Whenever he says there's perilous times coming, we look around and say, yeah, they're here. Okay, he said that they would be here. And so, so they are. And so we see that God's word once again holds true, that things are going according to the way that he said that they would. And so uh, true faith in Christianity is going to be in the minority. And it basically always has been because sin is so appealing, isn't it? Uh, the world goes after the things of the flesh, uh, things that pleases the flesh, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, right? And so Paul is challenging Timothy to evaluate the character and content of such men and movements, and he tells him to stay away from them. And in chapter 2 and chapter 3 both, there are several things that uh, Paul has told Timothy just to stay away from. There is... a a mindset or a movement today that we are to be almost militant as Christians. I know that there is uh, some imagery in Scripture that talks about warfare and battling and things, but of course the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But men today, Christians today, tend to wrestle against flesh and blood. They go out and think they have to fix every problem, right every wrong, uh, confront every false teacher and heretic, and all of these things, and so they have a very adversarial role, an adversarial position, and they are focusing on all of those things rather than focusing on getting the gospel out to those who need to hear it. You see how we can be distracted in going about uh, something that would appear to be good and missing out on what is actually best and right? And so he says, Timothy, you'll waste all of your time chasing heretics and problems and all of these things. There are some things you should just stay away from, just leave alone because there will be a reality that's going to happen, and you're not going to fix it. That's kind of a that's a bit of a relief, isn't it? That our job isn't to fix all these things. God says these problems are going to be there. They're going to come. There's nothing that you can do about them. So your job is not to correct them. What He left us here to do is to uh, preach the gospel to every creature and walk in a way that is according to Scripture, according to His will, right? And so anyway, He's telling Timothy these things. Uh, stay away from these men and movements. And then he offered himself here in chapter number three as a contrast to them. We saw that these false teachers were uh, self-seeking, self-honoring, untrustworthy, uh, all of these different things. But Paul says, you know what manner of man I was when I was with you. He says, you know how I walked, that I practiced what I preached. And so he wasn't uh, two-faced. He wasn't uh, wearing a mask or a facade, but instead he says, the things that I taught, the things that I preached is exactly how I live day to day. He says, I had nothing hidden. My life was an open book. You saw day to day who I was, what I was like, how I lived. And so with that, there was no question to what Paul believed. There was no question to his character, his integrity, what he was, what he valued, what was important to him, because he made it plain. He made it apparent. He didn't cover it up. He didn't fake it. He wasn't hypocritical. And just as a side note, that's something that is incredibly common today within religion and Christianity is this idea of hypocrisy, of putting on airs, of putting on a facade, of looking one way uh, amongst the brethren or amongst people and being a totally different person when you get around a different crowd or you get at home. 
Okay. And I think some of that comes just from the idea that whenever you're at church or whenever you're around religious people, that you have to appear to be more holy or more spiritual than what you actually are. And that's, that's hypocrisy, right? It's not healthy for anyone in the church. It's not healthy for you. And what we need is for people to be real, be sincere. Even if they have some problems, even if they are a little bit messed up, don't pretend to be something you're not. And so Paul was an example of that. He says, I wasn't something that I'm not. He says, you've seen me, you've been around me, we've walked together, we've uh, stayed in the same houses and hotels and all these things. We spent a lot of time together. You know what I'm like. Not only that, he says, you know what I've taught, my doctrine, my manner of life. He says, you know why I do things, you know my motives and why I uh, pursue the things I do. He says, you know my struggles, my troubles, you know the things, the difficulties that I went through. And so he always preached the same message no matter what, even if it wasn't popular. He pleased God first. He sacrificed himself for others. And so his life was a life of power, of integrity, and of humility. And just listing those three things together in our minds, do those three things usually go together? Power, integrity, and humility. They don't seem to go together, but they did in Paul, right? Because usually those who appear to be powerful are not necessarily people of integrity or humility, right? But see, Paul's power wasn't the power that we think of and the power of man. He had the power of God on his life. And so that made all the difference in the world. And so Timothy could see that, that what Paul had was real. And so in uh, comparing these things one to the other, or contrasting maybe I should say, one to the other. He says, you've got these guys who are self-seeking, who are uh, teaching whatever is convenient, whatever is going to get them their way, that are seducing people, that are tricking people, that are drawing crowds and telling them what they want to hear, that are doing it for selfish gain and for power and popularity and for money and all of these things. And then you've got Paul, who was just the same every day, preaching one message and living by that message he preached and giving his all for God and for others. Ones who were uh, willing to sacrifice everyone to get what they wanted or Paul that was willing to sacrifice all he had for everyone else and for God. And so he says you have something to contrast here. Yes, they may draw crowds. Yes, they may appeal to your flesh. They may tickle your ears but what they have isn't real. They have a form of godliness, but they have no power. And so uh, the contrast between him and the self-seeking religionist would be easily seen by Timothy and anyone else around. So today we're going to be revisiting this closing of chapter number three, and uh, then we'll move on to chapter number four if we have time. But uh, chapter number three, we're going to start with verse number 12. And uh, we'll go ahead and read through the end of the chapter here. He says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation, 
through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And so in this last closing bit of uh, chapter number three, I said that Paul has been challenging Timothy to evaluate, for him to do some comparing, for him to see uh, these two groups for what they were. They both claimed to be religious, but there was a difference between them. And I think if, if we're honest with ourselves, we can see that in the world that we live in today, that there are plenty of people who are religious, but there are different uh, means and motives behind it. There's different types of religiosity, right? There are those that are teaching, for instance, we always talk about the health, wealth, and prosperity. They are appealing to the flesh of men, right? And then there are those who preach the truth that appeal to not just the flesh, but to the heart and to the soul of men, to spiritual things. Uh, something I was thinking about as I was studying this and preparing this is people today are doing the exact same thing now that people in Jesus' time was doing. Okay, And what I mean by this is what was it, what was the reason why people rejected Christ? The big reason why they rejected Christ in his time. Because they were looking for, they were looking for fleshly savor. Okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah, so they were looking for things to fulfill the flesh. They were looking for a physical kingdom. They were looking for a Messiah that was going to fulfill their desires to conquer their enemies, to give them uh, peace and prosperity now. And so they were fleshly minded. They were present minded. And Jesus came not to deliver them from the Romans, but to deliver them from sin, not to give them a kingdom and a paradise on earth, but to give them heaven and glory forever, not just to overcome their uh, political oppression, but overcome the oppression of sin in their lives. And so they wanted a physical deliverance, and he came with a spiritual deliverance, right? And so there was a difference in focus, and I said the same thing that was going on then is still going on now, because in the world that we live in, they are seeking after earthly gain. They want to have a good life now. They want peace and prosperity now. They want to uh, be delivered from their problems now. And so their focus isn't anywhere past this life, this current time on this earth. And so with that, whenever we are in good times, we live in a place here where people have most everything they need. We're in a prosperous place and people don't have to care too much about their present and physical needs. And so since those needs are met, they aren't looking for a savior because those things are taken care of and they are completely ignorant and spiritually bankrupt on eternal things, on matters of their spiritual needs, of matters upon their soul and their eternity, they couldn't care less. Doesn't that kind of characterize the age that we live in? Mm -hmm. So whenever we are contrasting these two different, uh, these two different spiritual leaders, if you will, you have the ones here that we read about in verse uh, 2 through 4, 2 through 5, excuse me. 
that appeal to the flesh, that are uh, fleshly motivated, that are proud and that they are arrogant and they are promoting uh, a religion that has to do with meeting felt needs of temporary pleasures and things. And then you have Apostle Paul and he says, I'm willing to sacrifice all comforts and cares of the flesh for that which is spiritual and eternal. Okay, And so that kind of separates for us uh, world religion and true Christianity. True Christianity has to do with the things of God and of eternity and of the spiritual needs. Earthly religion says, how can I be a better me? How can I prosper in this world? How can we improve this here and now? And so there's the difference there. And so if we look at it in that context, it's not necessarily a dichotomy. It's not necessarily looking at it as this appears to be outright evil and wicked and horrible, and this is completely good and godly and holy. Because that would be easy to compare between, right? You think anyone would follow the devil if he appeared to them with uh, horns and a pitchfork and a, a tail and a red suit and smelling of sulfur and brimstone? Yeah, no one would fall for that, right? And so oftentimes Satan is content for getting us distracted with something that appears to be good and pleasurable and doesn't appear to be outwardly evil at all. Now, as I often do, if you go back to the beginning, go back to Genesis, whenever he stood before, well, he didn't stood, he slithered before. Well, he had legs, right? The serpent had legs before, before the fall. So I guess he stood before Eve. And so whenever he stood before Eve, he didn't say for her to curse or blaspheme or kill or any of those things. He said, eat of the fruit, just disobey God, that's it. He didn't even word it in that way, disobey God. He says, just take of the fruit and eat. It's good, right? And so what's the harm in eating a piece of fruit? She could eat that fruit and that fruit and that fruit and that fruit. So why not eat this fruit? And so it makes evil seem a lot less evil, doesn't it? And so you look at religion that focuses on making the world a better place. But what if we make the world a better place from which to go to hell? That doesn't do any good, does it? One that makes people feel good and have uh, emotions and feelings and all of these things going on, but they never actually meet the King of Kings. They never actually own Christ as their Savior. You see the difference here? Yeah. And so it's not that Satan is coming overtly evil and trying to get people to sacrifice their firstborn to the devil, right? He just wants you to go into a way that you're not going to end up in heaven. And that you're not, if you are going to heaven, you're not going to take anyone else with you. Right? And so as Paul is writing to Timothy, he says these guys will come and they will outwardly appear good. They're going to be doing things that appear to be good, but they have no conversion, no inward transformation. They are not born again. They are not seeking after the things of God and the things that are near and dear to God. But instead, they are selling 
a religious system that will bind people, that will keep them in bondage, and will cause them to miss heaven. And so he's telling Timothy, don't fall into this trick. Don't fall into what they're doing here. Back into verse number 12, uh, he says, Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Just to put it very simply there, if you live according to what the Bible says, if you live according to uh, scriptural uh, principles, you will not be popular. That's simple enough, isn't it? And what does so many people want? What does the world say that we need to be? We need to fit in. We need to be popular. You don't want to be weird. You don't want to be strange. You don't want to go against culture, right? But he says, if you live godly in Christ Jesus, you're going to suffer persecution. We talked about Brother Trell just right before uh, we got into this study here. And I don't figure too many of us are going to face persecution in the manner that he did. But if you live by godly principles, the world is not going to appreciate it. The world's not going to come and pat you on the back and be thankful for the way that you're taking a stand against sin and immorality. But instead, the Bible tells us that they like darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And they're not going to like whenever we live a life of principle, of honesty, of integrity, one that matches biblical principles. Because guess what? It brings conviction upon them. We talked about, I think maybe last week or the week before, sometime here recently, that one of the things that often comes up whenever we live by biblical principles, and we say it was whenever we were uh, discussing Daniel, whenever we live by Christian principles and we choose not to partake of things that are unbiblical, one of the first things that people will say is, you want to remember? They're going to say, you think you're better than me, right? I'll go to the wedding reception, but I'm not going to drink alcohol with everybody else. What, you think you're better than me? That would be an example, wouldn't it? Come out and do these things with us. We're going to be going to a party. We're going to be going and doing these. Nah, I don't want to get involved in that. Why? Well, that's just not my scene. I don't like participating in that. What, you think you're better than me? If you live according to godly principles, the world is going to look at that not as you have a different lifestyle or you have different preferences. They're going to take uh, offense at that. They're going to see you living differently from them, and they're not going to like it. Why is there so much pressure for us to conform? Whenever people are different, it makes the status quo uncomfortable, right? And so he says, if you live godly, you'll suffer persecution. There'll be people who don't like you. You're not going to be popular. But it tells us in verse 13, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. This is what we talked about in our introduction here is it's going to get worse. Okay. And we look at the world that we live in. People are comfortable. We have a good quality of life. We have things that we can enjoy. There's beauty and pleasures around us. But if you look at the heart, if you look at the spiritual condition of the world that we're living in, I'm not talking about the outward pleasures and the outward conditions, but if you look at the spiritual condition of mankind, 
has it waxed worse and worse. We have a better quality of life, but morality has went down the tubes. Spirituality has went down the tubes. And people have found everything that they desire in this world, and they're no longer looking toward God, right? And so whenever it talks about evil men and seducers, we think murderers and rapists and thieves. Well, they're waxing worse and worse too. But is that the kind of thing that he's been talking about in this chapter so far? Whenever he's at perilous times will come, men will be lovers of their own selves, covetous boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, all of those things. So whenever we talk about wicked men and seducers waxing worse and worse, even this idea of a seducer, that's someone who's coming by a sneaky way to subvert someone, to uh, send them down a wrong path, to cause them to do things that should not be done, right? And so it says those men are going to get worse and worse. And it doesn't just say that they're going to be deceiving. It says they themselves are going to be deceived. And so the spiritual condition, the morality of this world and of mankind is going to get worse and worse. Those who live godly are going to be more and more outnumbered, are going to feel more and more in a minority. And then we come to verse number 14. Remember, he's talking to Timothy, right? He says, persecution are going to come across those who are good and godly. Wicked men are going to get worse. But Timothy, continue. What's it mean to continue? Okay, what was it you said? Okay, stick with the stuff. What were you said, Mary? Okay, go on living the way you go. So you keep going, you stick with the stuff, you keep going the way that you was. So if you continue, you were already going a specific way, and you just kept going the same way that you already were going, right? So he's telling him. I don't want you to veer to one way or the other. I don't want you to let up in pace. I don't want you to get off track. I want you to keep going, continue. So Timothy was going a good direction. He was going the right direction. Paul says, you're on track. You're doing well. Don't let anything hinder that or to change that. Okay? So the fact that there's going to be persecution that comes up, don't let that deter you. Don't let it slow you down. The fact that it's going to get more wicked and there's going to be people who uh, no longer respect the things of God but outright oppose the things of God. It used to be at least God and Christianity and church was respected, but now it is mocked and ridiculed, right? And so he says it's going to get worse and worse. Don't let that knock you off track. Continue. And then he tells him what to continue in. He says, Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And so as he's telling him here uh, to continue going forward, he tells him, you're on the right track. Okay. Now that would be something good for us, wouldn't it? I would like to know I was on the right track. That'd be good to hear from the Apostle Paul. You're doing well. When you can turn over to the book of Galatians, he tells them in, in the book of Galatians, he says, you did run well, who hath hindered you? 
So he says, you were once on track, but you've gotten off track, right? And so with Timothy, he's trying to keep from that happening. And so as we see him here, the temptations for him to be swayed, we said that he would be in the minority. What is the danger for us as Christians whenever things that are against scripture, those things that are ungodly, become popular or become widely accepted. What is the danger when ungodliness prevails? Okay, it becomes easy to fall after it, right? There was a term all the time whenever I was growing up in school, and I'm sure it's still there. Uh, it's called peer pressure. We've all heard that, right? What does that mean? What is peer pressure? Everyone else is doing it, so you feel pressured to do the same thing. And in the world we live in, there is peer pressure, and it's not just in school. I said uh, it was common in school whenever I was there, and hearing about it was common. still exists as adults. In any context that you're in, there are constantly pressures for you to conform, pressures for you to do what everyone else is doing. And so whenever things that are wicked become widely accepted or even promoted and popular, it is so easy for Christians to look at it and you begin to question whether or not it's actually wrong. Things that are against God's word, it starts, it messes with our head. Because we look at the entire world as accepting it and uh, applauding it. And then whenever we look at the word of God and we see that they are going contrary to the word of God. But it seems everyone is going contrary to the word of God. We are tempted to stray. It's tempting us to weaken our stand, right? And this is where we have to know the scripture and know what the Bible says and be convinced, be convicted of the fact that God's word is right and what it says is right is right, no matter if all of the world says it's wrong. And that God's word, whenever it says it is wrong, it is wrong, no matter if the whole world says it is right. What is the old idiom or the old saying whenever we talk about peer pressure? Yeah, but everybody else was doing it. Well, if everyone jumped off a bridge, would you do it? Well, it depends on how high the bridge is. <laughs> right? Yeah. I probably said that to my parents growing up. Depends on how high the bridge is. You know, if it's this tall, it'll be okay. As long as there's no water underneath it because I can't swim, you know. But uh, I say that being goofy, but here's the thing. The idea of jumping off the bridge is picturing that it is dangerous, right? And so there are lots of things that this world is doing and accepting that are dangerous to us in our spiritual health, our emotional health, our physical health, things that God has said, these are not good for you. And the world says, yes, they are. And then we are left in this pressure system, I guess I could say where we are torn, we're almost in a tug of war between fitting in with this world 
and sticking to the things of God. And so it is dangerous for us whenever things that are ungodly become uh, popular or widely accepted, whenever it becomes unquestioned or unquestionable. How many things is there in the world today that the Bible clearly is against, but the world says wholeheartedly that there is nothing wrong with it and that you can't even question it or else there's something wrong with you. You're hateful. You're a bigot. We've heard those, right? And so dissenters to the status quo, dissenters to the direction the world's going, become demonized. And does anyone want to be the bad guy? It's amazing how quickly whenever people start calling names and things that people will change their position and change their answer. They get bullied into it, right? So whenever you take a stand for the truth of God's word, whenever it says that marriage is between one man and one woman for life, the response comes, you're a bigot. You're a homophobe. No, I'm not. And then you're on the defense. And the next thing you know, you're apologetic for standing on the things of God. And then you start easing up on your stand. And then you start allowing for sin because you don't want to be ostracized from the world. And so this goes back up to verse number 12, that all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And this is more than just the idea of marriage or uh, homosexuality or anything like this. There's many different places that we could take a stand. Many different things that the word of God says is wrong, that the world says is right. Try to remain pure until you get married and see what the world says about that. Say, I'm not going to go and run around with every woman or every guy. I'm going to wait until I get married, and I'm going to keep that special between us. And they're going to laugh at you because that's not the way it's done anymore. Right? To have principles in your life and say, there are certain things that I don't want to take part of. There are certain places I won't go, certain things I won't watch or I won't listen to, certain people I don't want to be around certain things I can't be associated with. And then what happens? You're the odd one. You're the outcast. And so Paul sees this going on with Timothy. He says, Timothy, you're going to have to have a little bit of backbone about you. There's going to be some persecution. There's going to be some hardship coming because evil men and seducers are going to wax worse and worse. But he says, I want you to continue in the good way that you're going. He says, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And so he wants him to continue, even whenever it seems that everyone else is abandoning the faith. Uh, even though there are many who are living and preaching contrary to God's word, he says, don't fall for the deception. And so the word that we've been looking at today has been to evaluate. Another place in scripture, it tells us to try the spirits. Y'all remember that passage? Try the spirits to see if they be of God. And so evaluate. And so the first thing that he says here, whenever he is evaluating, whenever he is figuring out which path Timothy is going to follow here, he says, first, consider who? Consider who? Because in uh, verse number 
14, I've already read this a few times today, but he says, Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. If you are discussing something as important as God, eternity, salvation, Christianity, morality, these are big things, right? These are things that are eternal, right? And so whenever you are deciding where you land on these things, what you believe about these things, who are you going to listen to? What's important about who you're going to listen to? Because we've talked about in the past, there are plenty of conflicting voices that are out there. There are plenty of different people trying to steer your thoughts and your feelings and your beliefs. And so he says, first of all, Timothy, whenever you're evaluating these different voices that are coming around, these pressures is coming to you, he says, I want you to evaluate who. Consider the people that are trying to force these beliefs or the people who are teaching these things. Consider their character. Consider the things that they are doing, how they are living, to determine what you believe and who to follow. I mean, that's just common sense, isn't it? But isn't it crazy that some of the most influential people that we have in this world today are the ones that you are, well, not the ones that you are, the ones who are most influential today are the ones that we should be least likely to follow. If you take and you look at their life, the way they're living, the fruit that it produces, say, wait a second, why would I want to listen to them? I, uh, I heard or read a thing there a while back that says, don't take criticism from anyone you wouldn't take advice from. Did you catch that? Don't take criticism from anyone you wouldn't take advice from. And so someone comes up to you that you have no respect to or respect for, and they come up and they criticize you, and it hurts your feelings, and you get upset about it, and you're rolling around in your head, and you're like, wait a second, there's no way I'd ever go and ask advice from them, so why am I worried about what they think? Does that make sense? And so you have to be discerning in the people that you are giving platform in your life, the people who have a say in your life. And so he says, Timothy, consider who you have heard, the things that you have been following up until this point in time. Well, one of the ones that he had been, uh, that he had heard and that he had been following is the Apostle Paul, right? Paul had already brought out his life. He says, you know me. You know what I've been like. You know my consistency. You know my way of living. He says in another place, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul had that record, right? But it wasn't just him, but he had also learned of his mother and of his grandmother. It says that he had learned from a child the scriptures that were able to make him wise unto salvation, right? And so he says, look at the people around you that have been teaching you from the time that you were a child. Look at their life. Look at their testimony. Look at the fruit of their lives. And then 
Look at these other Johnny Come Latelys over here that are preaching a different message, that are going a different direction. What kind of life are they living? What kind of fruit is their life showing? Is that someone that should be influencing you? So you look at the people. And so there are so many people in our lives that are trying to influence us. We need to step back and say, hold on for a second. Before I listen to them, what kind of fruit does their tree produce? Right? The Bible tells us to try the spirits. It tells us to, uh, to look at the fruit, to determine. It says that a good tree doesn't bring forth corrupt fruit. A corrupt tree doesn't bring forth good fruit, right? By their fruit you shall know them. And this is what he's telling him. He says, look at their fruit. Look at what kind of life they're living. Do they earn, do they deserve that place for you to give an ear to the things that they are teaching? You apply that to uh, to us today. Think about even within spiritual matters. There's plenty of voices on uh, on the internet or on uh, television, on the radio, and you know nothing about their lifestyle, most of them, right? And some of the ones that you do know about aren't good. And so it's important to know who you're listening to, who you're following, who you're receiving instruction from, because... You want to make sure that they are of God because there's going to be uh, evil men and seducers waxing worse and worse. One of the dangerous things about seducers is they are deceitful and you don't know they're doing it. Have you ever been duped? You know what that word means? Been tricked, been deceived, taken advantage of? Something that you thought was genuine showed up that it wasn't genuine. Somebody who uh, portrayed themselves in one way, it turned out that they were a fake and a phony. Fall for like one of these pyramid schemes or something like that. You end up selling something that's not worth being sold and next thing you know, anyway. People get deceived, they get duped by these kind of things all the time, right? And whenever you realize you've been duped and deceived, how do you feel? You feel stupid. Taken advantage of, right? So a good bit of advice for us is not to be dumb. That's kind of a blunt way to put it, isn't it? So it says, Timothy, if you're going to be influenced by these guys, don't be stupid about it, but pay attention to what manner of person they are. Inspect the fruit. Make sure that they are someone worth listening to. So that's the first thing. If you're evaluating, evaluate the who. The second thing, if you're evaluating uh, these conflicting messages, you also need to uh, evaluate the what. That's simple, isn't it? The who and the what. Consider the content of the teaching. Does it lead to salvation from hell and from the power of sin? Talk about spiritual matters, right? Because what were these uh, deceitful teachers, these um, ones who had a form of godliness with no power, what were they teaching? Were they teaching anything about Christ? Were they teaching people salvation? It tells us in verse 6, For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive. Brings bondage, right? But down here in verse number 15, it says, And that from a holy child 
thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And so he says, the things which you have learned and been taught and these people who have a godly example and that are fruit bearing in, in your life here, he says, the message that they have brought to you and that they have taught you is one that brings you to a place of salvation of your soul and salvation from sin's power. See, salvation is not just, I'm going to heaven now, but salvation is also a process throughout our life which God takes the person who has been saved, who has been born again, and starts cleansing them from sin's power. He is saving them from the power of sin. He is delivering them. He is taking them out of the bondage that once held them. That's the message of the gospel. It's not just for eternity. It's for down here too. And so he says, you need to evaluate the message. Is it one that takes away the bondage? Is it one that brings us to Christ? Is it one that brings about salvation? Or is it one that makes you feel good, makes you dance around and happy? Is it one that appeals to your flesh? Is it one that makes you uh, seek after the things of this world? Or is it one that makes you hunger and thirst after righteousness? And so what is the content of the teaching? In the world we live in, there's so many different religions, so many different thought processes, so many different uh, schemes and cults and things that are going on out there. And whenever we look at their character, we look at the who about it, what kind of fruit it's producing, it can be sickening at times. But then whenever we look at their message, when we look at the what of them, what is their message? What are they trying to get across? What are they trying to accomplish? And we find that they come up lacking. They're not caring for the soul of a person. They are dealing deceitfully with the cross of Christ and with the blood that he shed on the cross. The Bible says that the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, right? Right? And so, so many religions today, they see the cross as offensive, as foolish. But it says to those who perish, it is foolishness. But for us that believe, it is the power of God unto salvation. And so what is the content of their message? Is it that Christ and his cross bring salvation? Is it that God is wanting to do a internal and eternal work in your life or is it something different is it something that points you to god into eternity or is it something that points you to self and to this earth what is the content of their message and the third thing that we find here we saw the who we saw the what and now i want to look at the where where did they get it from where did they get it from and so as we look here in verse number uh, 16, it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And so he says, The things that you have believed, the things that have made you wise unto salvation, 
the things that's been taught to you by uh, godly and fruitful people has been that way because they received it of God himself through scripture. And so consider where the message came from because it better come from scripture. It doesn't need to come from a feeling, from a dream, from an experience, from some book or self-help books, from a philosopher, or even from a preacher or a teacher. It better have its root and its beginnings. It better be grounded in scripture. And so it needs to come from the Bible because the Bible comes from God and not man. It says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That word inspiration is meaning that God literally breathed it out. That the very words that are written in the Holy Scriptures came from the mind of God, from the mouth of God, put into the head of man, transmitted down to the hand of man, and put into Scripture. And so anything else is fallible. Why is it that we don't put much stock in dreams? Why is it that we're not looking for new prophecies and revelations? Why is it we're not looking to uh, extra biblical books and different things like this? It's because those aren't of God. And so whenever we're considering where the message came from, it better come from the Bible because uh, God is the source of it and that makes it accurate, it makes it authoritative, and it makes it enough, right? And so by making it enough, we come down to verse number 17. It says that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. It says that it is enough to get us to be what he would have us to be. Whenever it says perfect, it's talking about being mature. The word of God contains everything that we need to bring us to maturity in the faith. Not only that, but we are thoroughly furnished. That means that we are equipped. We don't have to seek something else to equip us as Christians and as servants of God, as witnesses. We're not looking for someone else or something else because we have the word of God that's going to furnish us unto all good works, right? People are looking for something else. They're looking for a second blessing. They're looking for some spiritual leader or divine guru or something else like this. Whenever the Bible tells us that the Bible is sufficient, that it is enough. And so we evaluate by the who, the what, the where. We evaluate by the results of the message that they are proclaiming. What are the results? What is the fruit of it? We've talked a little bit about the fruit of the people, but what about the fruit of the message? What does it accomplish? Because so many people today are following after a message that doesn't bring salvation. It doesn't bring transformation. It brings bondage might bring some feelings, may bring some religious activity, but does it actually reunite us with God? Does it reconcile us with him? Does it bring the Holy Spirit living within them to transform the life from the inside outward? 
And so that's what we were looking at here in 16 and 17. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable. That means that it is good for you, that it is beneficial, is profitable for doctrine. That's for teaching, instruction, for reproof. That's correction. I went through this many different times, and I've said this, so I'll just go through it quickly again. But doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness, it tells you what's right, what's wrong, how to get right, how to stay right. And so what else do we need? Nothing. And so it says it's good for you, and it will tell us all that we need to know, uh, what's right, what's wrong, how to get right, how to stay right, that the man of God may be perfect. Those are the things that bring about maturity, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And so you're mature, you're equipped, you're effective, right? You're effective, furnished unto all good works of everything you need. And so what a difference that is from the powerless form that he was telling him to evaluate against, telling him to compare with, telling him to stay away from, right? He says the message that you've been following is one that has been fruitful to those who have instructed you. You've seen it work in the lives of other people. You've seen the results in your own life and how it brings about change and transformation and salvation. You've seen how the word of God that it comes from is able to thoroughly equip you and to give you everything that you need to live this Christian life. And so why would you change that for some powerless form of religion, for some uh, feel-good psychobabble or something else? Why would you leave it for what this world is peddling? And so for Timothy, he says, I want you to endure. I want you to excel. And I want you to evaluate, to make sure that you finish well and on the right track, that you continue. So with that, does anyone have any questions or any comments, anything to add this evening? Okay. Um, Paul was instructing Timothy to stay in line. Mm -hmm. it, 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 this depression that name or possibility would Paul so Timothy go out of the line in order for him to instruct him to be. Well, coming back to the word continue, it means that he is on track. He hasn't deviated. But the I think from my understanding of Scripture, okay, the two main reasons why Paul is so adamant in this instruction to Timothy is that he has seen others deviate. Uh, we're going to find in the end of chapter number four, he talks about all the ones who had abandoned him, the ones that had quit, the ones that had turned aside and forsaken him. He doesn't want Timothy to do that. So he's seen other people do it, and he's not ignorant. He doesn't 
Uh, he's not arrogant and thinking that, oh, nothing's going to happen to Timothy. He's like, that one, that one, that one. I don't want Timothy to have that happen to him. So it's that encouragement to him. And so that is the one thing. The other thing, I believe some of it was uh, Timothy's personality. Timothy was timid. And so someone who is timid, lacks confidence a little bit in things, is going to be more easily swayed. And so he says, there's going to be groups that come against you. There will be times that you're unpopular. There's going to be times where there's lots of pressure against you. Timothy, I know you're timid, but don't give in to it. Now, Apostle Paul, I mean, he was, uh, he was firm. He was confident. He was brash at times. I mean, I think that uh, with Apostle Paul, he stood before kings and he stood before uh, great military leaders. He was chained to, you know, he was intimidated in major ways. And Paul was very firm. Timothy had a different personality, a different temperament. Mm -hmm. And so Paul saw that and he says, between the fact that some have deviated and that Timothy is a little bit timid, I want to make sure that he doesn't stray. I want to give him as much encouragement as I can that whenever I'm going, wherever I depart, that he will still remain faithful. So it's almost, forgive me for saying this, okay? I'll say that ahead of time. But as Paul is doing all this, it's almost like a vaccine. Okay? He said, I'm, I'm doing these things to prepare you, to inoculate you against this so that this doesn't take you out. Okay. Anything else? Okay. Well, I appreciate your time and your attention tonight. We'll go ahead. We'll go to the Lord in prayer and uh, wrap things up. And so let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. And we do thank you for this time that we've had in your word tonight. I pray, Lord, that it has been uh, beneficial, Lord. I pray, Lord, it's been helpful to your people. And Lord, just help us to take this uh, to our hearts, Lord, and and help us to realize that there are uh, spiritual things that work around us, Lord, that uh, though uh, it's not that people are uh, wicked necessarily, not necessarily that uh, there's all these things that we need to be scared of or frightened of or intimidated by, but instead, Lord, there's a, a spiritual battle, a spiritual fight out there, and help us, Lord, to see these things as they are, Lord. Help us, Lord, not to uh, give in to these things. Help us not to... Uh, uh, ease our stand or to turn away from biblical principles and to buy into the, the things that are so uh, accepted and, and applauded in this world, Lord. And Lord, just help us, Lord, to, to walk in a way that's pleasing to you. And Lord, not to turn aside. Help us to continue, Lord. And Lord, if we're off track, help us to get on track and stay there. We thank you so much for all that you do and all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.